This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I hope that you are all well. Before I get started, I would like to give a shout out to the Patreon members. Tavia S., Victoria Dyer, Tina Mead, Nancy Wallace, Mana Ash, Interscare Wifey, Felicia Scott, Cindy Mead, and House of Jen. The other Patreon members will be right here on the screen. Thank you all so much for being a part of the new membership. If you would like to become a member of Back to Ashes right here on YouTube or join the Patreon family, or if you enjoy what you are hearing and would like to support a content creator, you can buy me a coffee. All of that information can be found in the description box below. Please remember, also if you enjoy what you're hearing, hit that subscribe button and turn the notification bell on so you know every time I upload. Also, if you would, please leave a like as it does help the channel out. With all of that being said, it is time to go back to ashes. For when we arise from the ashes, we are a bigger, brighter, stronger, and happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in and get warm, and enjoy this dose of vocal melatonin entitled, True Let's Not Meet Stories. Right after this introduction, there will be an ad. I'll read the first story, there'll be an ad. After that, there will be no more ads within this video. Hello, everyone. This is my first time telling this story, so please bear with me as I try to make sense of all of this. I think I was around 10 years old when me and my buddies decided to go out and have a good time. Back in those days, kids all around used to make these poor man's airsoft weapons out of plastic tubes and rubber gloves and use dry peas as ammo. So anyways, we went out and had a blast shooting at each other. And at some point, me and my teammate realized that few of our buddies had been gone quite a long time, but we had a general idea of where they went. So we started to head towards them. As soon as we arrived to the general area where we thought they would be, our buddies ran fast as fuck, yelling, Run, you guys! There's this crazy old guy coming with a van! So I was a little confused at this time and watched as my buddies ran off, nowhere to be seen. And at this point, I see that van coming, and I panic and start running like hell. This guy catches me pretty quick, almost running me over with his van, and yelling that if I move an inch, he would end me. He gets a hold of me and starts dragging me to the back of his van as I was screaming for help. When I'm almost inside of this guy's van, there's another guy, maybe in his 20s, a thinner guy wearing a heavy metal outfit. 
yells to this bastard. Leave the kid alone, or I will kill you where you stand. This guy turns around, and at the same time, this 20-year-old guy drops him with a single punch and keeps on beating him while telling me to run home to my parents. My dad tried to find the guy who literally saved my life to thank him and give him a reward, but only found a puddle of blood where all of this took place. So, to the creepy old guy that tried to snatch me, I hope we never meet again. The story takes place on August of 2013 in the mountains of Southern Oregon. I am a USAF Security Forces Airman, military policeman. My girlfriend was at work and as a swelteringly hot day began to turn into thunderstorms, my buddy Nick, another military cop, and I decide to go explore some back roads and get out of the heat in town. Southern Oregon is crisscrossed with logging roads, some actively used and many totally forgotten or grown over. Nick and I spent many of our days off starting on roads that we knew, finding roads we didn't know, driving for hours into the mountains, eventually navigating back to paved roads. On this particular day, with storm clouds building over the mountains, we set off on a road we had never been on and began to drive into the mountains. After driving for around an hour, we hadn't seen nor heard any signs of other people in the woods. We rounded a bend in the thick fir woods and emerged in a meadow that was totally surrounded by thick aspen groves. The meadow was perfectly flat and eerily still. We both noticed the strange stillness almost immediately. No birds, hardly an insect noise, no squirrels, and certainly no other people. On the far side of the meadow, right at the edge of the tree line, there was a picnic table. The table was very odd, however. It was painted a bright orange and was much larger than a typical picnic table in a park. Remarking on this, Nick drove through the meadow to get a closer look. I remember being apprehensive as we approached. The whole scenario was exceptionally strange. The overall silence of the Aspen Grove was unsettling. Also, it was nearly impossible to see far into the trees as aspens grow extremely close together. When we parked by the table, I hopped out of the passenger seat of the truck to check it out. I'm not very tall, only about 5 foot 5. Regardless, the table was ridiculously oversized and practically unusable. The seats were nearly at chest level, meaning I would have to climb up to even sit on them. As I was looking at the table, Nick called me over to the truck, and I noticed he was looking back into the Aspens. At first, I couldn't see what he was looking at, but then I noticed a splash of color that was completely out of place in the thick trees. A small one-man tent was set back in the trees, about 50 feet from the strange table. I had an initial feeling of dread and felt certain that there was someone in that tent, and if we could see the tent, they could see us. 
There were no campgrounds in this area. No people, no main roads for miles. Surely someone camping so remotely would be, at the very least, a strange person. However, as we observed the tent, we didn't see any movement or hear any sounds coming from it. Nick suggested I call out. I didn't want to, but I did. Hey, anyone in there? I yelled. No reply. Feeling completely on edge, Nick and I thought about driving away and leaving the strange area. But we began to fear the worst. What if there was a body in the tent? What if somebody had gotten kidnapped? Foolish, I know, but we thought it all the same. After some debate, we decided to have Nick turn the truck around to drive away from the camp. Should we need to leave in a hurry, he would be waiting behind the wheel. With my heart pounding, I started walking through the trees towards the tent. I was totally keyed up with my senses on full alert. When I reached the campsite, several things struck me as odd. Backpacks were scattered all over. No fire had been built. No wood collected. The tent? Eh, the tent was literally full of backpacks and women's clothing. Full of dread, I turned to leave and tell Nick what I had seen. As I left, I heard Nick start yelling. Let's go! Let's get the f*** out of here! Not knowing why he was yelling, I ran back to the truck. When I broke out of the trees, I saw a beat-up old Ford Taurus on the road, blocking us from leaving the meadow. I immediately leapt into the passenger seat and Nick floored the gas pedal. The car was occupied by two men. A third person was laying against the window in the back. As we drove across the meadow, the driver attempted to block us from the road, but Nick drove around them and accelerated the way he had come from. I looked back and saw the car attempting to turn around on the narrow road. Nick drove like a madman, and though I was honestly terrified that they would catch up, we hit the highway without seeing the car again. I still do not know if the person in the back was male or female. I called the state police and they promised to send a trooper out to check out the scene. However, I received a call the next day from a trooper stating that the campsite the backpacks, and the women's clothing were all gone, though he could tell people had been in the area. The strange table was still by the thick aspen grove. I have not returned to the area and do not intend to. To those two strange guys with that unknown body in your back window, I hope we never meet again. I got a new job, and at my job, there was this guy who used to watch me whenever he was around. We didn't work together, but we worked in the same department. We did sometimes work together, but it was very rare. All the weird stuff started a few months after I started a new job and moved within walking distance to said job. One October night, I was walking home when a tall man wearing a hoodie came suddenly out of some bushes as I was walking by. I found this bizarre, so before I entered my apartment, I looked back and saw him standing by some trees watching me. 
When he realized I saw him, he jumped behind the trees to hide. I told my boyfriend and he thought it was a drug dealer. Anyway, I started walking through a different trail when a month later I saw the same man. This time he was crouching by the trailer of some parking lot. He got up and started walking away from me, but he kept watching me. After a week, he showed up again, but this time I was halfway to my house and he came out of hiding behind the trailer and started walking toward me. I beelined for my apartment's door and ran inside. This time he knew which apartment I lived in, as the previous times I would walk around the front door so that he would know which apartment was mine. He seemed like he was trying to figure out where I lived as he could have attacked me multiple times. It doesn't end there. I got laid off and got a new job. After three weeks of working there, I was getting on the bus when this guy who looked similar to the guy in the parking lot was watching me get on. I quickly hurried to the back of the bus. When we got to my stop, he pulled the string and got off. I got off as well, but then decided to wait for this guy to keep walking. But unfortunately, he slowed down his pace seemingly waiting for me to pass him. I ended up walking behind him until we got to some lights and he wouldn't move. I decided to walk fast and hide from him, just in case he was looking for my new job's location. During the time I worked there, I saw my ex-co-worker on the train when I was heading back for my interview. He saw me going in the same direction as him and started running. He ran pretty slowly, like he had a limp or something. It wasn't kind of strange, but anyway. I saw him hanging out at the mall when I was there with my mom, but this doesn't really matter as it's a popular place. Anyway, I got laid off from this job due to COVID and had a month where I did not go outside much. After a month, I got a new job within walking distance. After one week, I was leaving work when there was a guy just watching me again and he looked similar to the previous guy watching me when I was walking home. So I ran away and got to some lights and didn't see him. For a month and a bit, I didn't see anyone. One night it was relatively warm. I was closing close to midnight and was walking home when I saw a white car parked behind some store, seemingly out of view of any security cameras. I was suspicious of it as it had its headlights off and it seemed like someone was just sitting in there. I'm walking by it and keep looking over my shoulder, until I decided it was probably safe. Anyway, not a second goes by and I get this feeling I should look behind me. I look, and I see my ex-coworker walking towards me. I started running as fast as I could, and the adrenaline helped me get away. I didn't look back until I cleared some space between us and I couldn't see him anymore. Luckily, there were some men waiting for the bus at the end of the road, so I wasn't too worried he'd come running for me as I've seen him running. So a month goes by and I haven't seen him, but I assumed he was on vacation as he showed up approximately a month later. Anyway... One night in early May, I was walking over to a grocery store to pick up some groceries I really needed after work, 
as it was only 9 p.m. So as I'm walking there, some guy wearing a hoodie comes up from behind me. He starts walking towards the bus terminal, but I guess he overheard my conversation to my boyfriend as I was telling my boyfriend that I was going to the grocery store to pick up some stuff, and then I'd walk home. So, I get to the grocery store and get my stuff when I'm about to start walking home. I see some old-looking guy dressed like a teenager standing outside of the grocery store. He was wearing the same clothes as the guy I saw earlier, and he was watching me and trying to get close to me. I start telling my boyfriend to get me an Uber instead, and I walk over to some bags of fertilizer to hide from this guy. But he starts looking for me. I stare at him, letting him know that I know he is up to something messed up. He stares back with these soulless eyes, and luckily then, my Uber showed up and I hopped in. I'm not sure if this guy has anything to do with my ex-coworker or if he was a random psycho, but I do know that it helped me look out, and it ended up saving me as I made my boyfriend meet me after work. After that, I was extremely paranoid and always on the lookout for creeps, and I made my boyfriend meet me after work if it was dark out. A few days later, after no bizarre events, my boyfriend comes and meets me when I see some car with its headlights on, parked in front of a store we had to pass. We start walking by it when it slowly starts driving away, seemingly watching us walking. We get to some lights and I see the same car, now in another plaza driving slowly and watching us. Freaked out, I tell my boyfriend and he gets scared. I assumed it was my ex-coworker, as the car this time looked like his mom's car. I saw his mom come to pick him up at work once and she was driving a car that looked like this one. The next night, we also saw some man with a black van with the passenger door wide open hovering around it. When we passed him, he started to follow us. So we started to run a bit until we got further away. Ten minutes later, I saw some guy wearing a hoodie hiding behind some building with his back against the wall. I don't know if the last two incidents are related, but it sure terrified me and my boyfriend. Mind you, I used to walk home by myself for a month without incidents, so I'm assuming once it was warm out, whoever had been watching me was planning something terrifying. After this, I changed my hours at work even though my managers gave me a hard time despite all the insane crap I had been through. I got my managers to give me rides home any time I had to close or I would get Ubers, but I never walked again at midnight or after 10 p.m., even with my boyfriend. Anyway, I ended up seeing my ex-coworker's car multiple times in May when my managers drove me home. Eventually, I stopped seeing his car as he realized I would never be out again at midnight. I started getting morning shifts at work and I finally don't close anymore at work. However, I don't know if I'm done being stalked or not. Last month, the sun was starting to set around 9-ish. I was walking by myself to the grocery store when I saw my ex-coworker drive past me. I ignored it as I've seen him in this area, and it's probably unrelated. Anyway, 30 minutes later, as I'm walking back with my boyfriend, 
My boyfriend had gone to a store, so my ex-coworker might have thought I was alone. I see the guy who was watching me in the parking lot, in the same parking lot. He's back and lurking around. He sees my boyfriend and me and starts walking away, but keeping an eye on us until we get into our apartment. Unfortunately, due to having in-person classes at my university, I'm back to working until 10 p.m., but I have my boyfriend meet any time I do. I'm worried it's all going to start back up again. I'm genuinely scared, to be honest, as this has been going on for almost a year. To the creepy guys and my creepy ex-coworker, I seriously hope I don't ever see you again. Hello everyone, my name is Elisa, and here I will tell you my story, a very true story, which I describe as really terrifying and which, unfortunately, still affects my life today. You will soon understand why. Before I begin, I apologize for the grammatical errors. I am French and I'm not a good English speaker. I decided to share it with you because it took place exactly two years ago and because I think it can serve to awaken the prudence of some, especially in this period where the days are shortening. To put you in context, this happened on October 1st, 2020, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. I was 17 at the time, and I had just left the Isle de France, near Paris, for a provincial town to continue my studies. As a student, four hours by train for my parents, I obviously decided to take an apartment, but the prices were unaffordable for me, so I settled in a brand new student residence. It is in the heart of a rich, bourgeois residential pavilion, contrasting with my small student residence. Everything is fine. I normally go to school, but right from the beginning, the teachers tell us that, unlike students and other disciplines, we will have lessons in presence, and not at a distance, so we will be the only ones to animate this part of the campus. In short, the first classes are going pretty well, even though I'm having trouble fitting in like the others because of the masks and this nasty COVID. There is also a black shadow. On Thursdays and Fridays, I finish at 8 p.m., which makes me return to my little house at around 8.45 p.m. Time to wait for the tramway that didn't pass often during the pandemic and make the three stops before walking 10 minutes to the residence. As you understand, I was alone on my way to school. But in the week of September 21st to the 27th, when I went to class in the morning, I met, strangely, a man three times dressed in black, wearing a hood, and whose face I could not really distinguish. What bothered me at the time was the fact that it didn't fit in with the neighborhood's chic environment, but I'm not focusing on that anymore. Finally arrives the night of October 1st. As usual, I leave school, but unlike other days, I take the tramway about one hour later. I finally made a friend with whom I discussed the time of his bus. And, as usual, I wait alone and once in the tramway 
I realize that just as at the stop, there is nobody except the driver and me. So I decided to sit in the four-seat squares to make myself comfortable. At the next stop, which is still in the campus area, as I turn my head before the doors automatically close, my eyes cross that of a man sitting alone in black. And in half a second, the man blocks the doors that were closing and enters. While the tramway is empty, he sits in front of me, intimidated and understanding that the situation is suspicious. I look away. I prefer to look out the window. The more time passes, the more my instinct leads me to believe that this man may have bad intentions. In my head, I begin to develop a plan to ensure that this person does not follow me when I have to go down. Once the tram arrives at its destination, I decide to leave at the last moment, just before the tram closes. As I start walking, I hear a cry and I turn my head. I see the man who managed to get out and obviously pinched his fingers blocking the doors. The latter then begins to walk behind me. This time, it is sure. I am being followed. As I accelerate my pace, I hear the man do the same. I can hear his breath coming closer. Then it came to me to pretend to be on the phone to scare him. That worked at first. Indeed, when the man turned around, my phone rang. I later learned it was my friend who just wanted to tell me he had the wrong bus. I was sure he heard the bell and therefore understood the deception. I turn around and see the man slip something in his hand. I see nothing because of the night. The latter starts screaming and running after me. While I am out of breath, I rush into a crossing on my neighbor. I throw myself into the arms of the latter and shout loud, Great, you came to get me. At these words, my neighbor immediately understood the situation and returned with me to the residence. Before that, I turned one last time and nothing. The man had disappeared. Once I'm in my room crying, I think back to this man's walk. Bingo. It looks like the person I met earlier this week. I decide the next day to make a statement. During the day, I was called to tell myself that the surveillance videos of the tram had revealed the identity of the person. He was a wanted man for sexual assault and armed robbery. Apparently, he found pleasure in assaulting rich girls to humiliate them before stealing them. That's why he prowled in my neighborhood, made my blood run cold, and I decided to go home to my parents. Apparently, the man was found two weeks later in another city for assaulting a young girl in a store. The morality of history. Pay attention to yourself, especially at night. And above all, nothing is better than to follow his instinct. Still today, we talk about it with my neighbor. Besides, he confessed to me last year that he often saw the scene and especially rethinks my face decomposed by fear. He says he's deeply shocked. Even if this story ends well, it has developed in me a kind of distrust. I remain on my guard, especially when it comes to meeting people with hoodies. Now I keep a pepper spray in my bag. 
To the man on the tram, I hope I don't ever see you again. This story happened about two years ago, when I was 19, and my foster sister, Kira, was 16. For the sake of this story, it's important to know that I was female presenting and hadn't come out as trans yet, nor was I presenting myself in an overly masculine style at the time. It was the summer before I was going to college, and I mostly lived with my mom and Kira, except for every other weekend where I'd stay with my dad. Now, summers where I am can get really hot and humid, so we had a habit of waiting to walk the dogs until 6 or 7 p.m., because that's when it'd be cooler, but still light outside. On this particular evening, Mom wasn't going to be home until late, though I don't remember the exact reason why. She's a woman that likes to stay busy and often participates in choirs, Bible studies, youth groups, events, classes, and more. So it wasn't uncommon for Kira and I to be left alone at home until 8 or 9 p.m. So, it was up to me and Kira to walk the dogs by ourselves, unless we wanted our younger dog, Samson, to throw tantrums due to pent-up energy. Even though we lived in the countryside and could have walked them down our street, Kira and I decided to drive out 20 minutes to a park instead. Why? I don't remember. It could have been anything from being bored, walking our roads, to not wanting to have to deal with blind curves and hills. Whatever the reason, at around 7.30 p.m., Kira and I harnessed our two dogs, packed them up in the car, and drove to the park. Let me quickly explain the layout of the park so that it's easier to understand why we got nervous halfway through our walk. This park isn't very big, but it's popular because of its loop. The entire park is surrounded by a mile-long looping road with its attractions, like playgrounds, ponds, and a small country hall, spaced about in the inner side of the loop. The outer side is just grass, trees, and one playground at its end. Thus, it's common and expected to pass people walking the loop at least two times if you're walking in opposite directions, but not if you're walking in the same direction, obviously. Any cars on this road can only drive in one direction because it's a one-way road. At first, everything about this walk was normal. I parked the car, we clipped our dogs to leashes, and we started on the loop. Every so often, we'd stop so I could take pictures of our good boys, particularly of Kira trying to wrangle Samson, who pulls like his life depends on it, and weaves around because he wants to smell everything. It was while I was taking one of these pictures that the first encounter happened. A man, who looked to be in his 40s, walked past us, walking the same direction we were up towards the playground on the outer side of the loop. He smiled at Kira, nodded, and said, Hello, or cute dogs, or something like that, and kept walking. I honestly didn't think anything of it. We're at a park at a time of day where it's common to walk around due to the cooler temperature, and people where I am are generally friendly. Smiling and saying hi is pretty normal, no matter who says it. 
We smiled back, maybe said hi or thanks, depending on what was said. And that was that. So we thought. This man passed us again only ten minutes later, directly across from where we'd seen him previously. Just like he did before, he smiled and said hi. This time, Kira and I looked at each other once he was ahead of us and shared, well, that was weird, expression. Just ten minutes earlier, he had passed us walking up towards the playground and subsequently broke off from the loop, and he'd been walking in the same direction as us. This time, though, he'd cut in front of us, and he did it in a way where we had to stop to avoid running into him. Hell, he nearly touched Kira with how close he was walking. That was already weird in itself. The other weird part was him cutting past us in the opposite direction. The only way he could have done that was if he cut across the inside of the loop, since it would have been close to impossible to pass us at our certain point from the other direction, if he decided to walk the opposite way of the loop than us. It came off almost like he wanted to walk by us again. But, just like before, Kira and I brushed this weirdness off. The guy could have been enjoying a rambling stroll and doing his own thing for all we knew. Besides, we had two reasonably sized dogs with us. So, who would mess with us? Not even five minutes later, the same man passed us again. Once again cutting so close past us that he nearly brushed shoulders with Kira. And again he smiled and said, Hi, before walking off. This was officially the moment I decided we needed to leave. Sure, it's normal to pass a person at least two times walking the sloop if you're going in opposite directions. But doing so takes a while. You have to at least get to the parallel spot on the loop from where your paths first intersected to see each other again. Both the time between running into the guy and the location we passed each other didn't match up in a way that didn't look suspicious. Plus, I really wasn't a fan of how he cut across us. The first time he passed us like a normal person, walking faster than us would, albeit a little close. The second time, he cut in front of us from the opposite direction instead of walking around us, to the point we had to stop to avoid running into him. This third time, he walked up behind us, then did this weird directionally slant walk to cross the street and go in the opposite direction, cutting us off again. So yeah, I told Kira to hustle so we could get to our car and get out instead of doing a second loop, so that's what we did. When we were almost to our car, we noticed a car creeping along behind us. We pulled to the side and stopped to let it pass, but for a second, it stopped too. We figured he was getting ready to park, so we started walking again. The car started creeping along behind us after we did, so we stopped again and the car stopped with us. This was when Kira got nervous. We hadn't seen the middle-aged man since the third cutoff, so we figured I had overthought the whole thing. But here we were, with this tinted-windowed car acting weird as all hell. 
Was it the same guy back with his car? A different guy? We couldn't tell. Before anything could happen, though, another car idled up to the one next to us, and whoever it was sped up to the expected five miles per hour. We got to our car pretty fast after that, and practically picked up the dogs to get them inside of it. We got in and got out of there. My mistake, however, was neglecting my rearview mirror and the well-advised rule not to drive straight home if you're worried a stranger's taken too much interest in you. I was anxious, dumb, and primarily concerned with getting home where we would be safe, because home is safe, right? Nothing bad is supposed to happen to you there, right? Ah, my naive false sense of security. I think we got home at around eight something. The sun had finally disappeared beyond the horizon and it wasn't fully dark yet. Just that dusty purple color the sky gets before it finally accepts that it's nighttime. Mom wasn't home yet, so we got the dog some water, locked the doors, ate a late dinner, and chilled in the living room, talking about things that didn't really matter. It was almost 9.30 when the scariest part of this whole ordeal happened. There, Kira and I were, sitting on different couches, talking about something or the other, when we noticed the ceiling briefly light up over where Kira was sitting. An important note here is that Kira was sitting on a small couch with her back to a window that faces the front of the house, while I was on the couch on the opposite wall where I could see a sliver of the front porch. Likewise, right next to Kira was our front door, which has three small rectangular windows on it. Due to our long, slightly curvy driveway, it's common to see headlights stream through the window, light up the ceiling, fade, then intensify. It means someone's just come home. So, when the ceiling above Kira lit up, we thought nothing of it, assuming Mom was finally coming back from wherever she went that night and we didn't take any notice of the lights skipping the final arc of someone pulling all the way up the driveway, either. We also didn't pay any mind to how long it was taking Mom to come inside. Mom has a habit of pulling in then checking her phone for God knows how long before coming in. After a couple of minutes, I noticed the small motion sensor light Mom set up on a table on the porch light up. Again, I could only see a sliver of space based on my position in the curtains. Basically, I could see a smidge of the table and the rails boarding our porch, but not its stairs or anything approaching the door, depending on how they approached it. I wasn't paying much attention either, because I assumed it was my mom. Right after the light went off, we both heard the storm door open but we didn't hear anyone pressing the code keys of our lock or jiggling the door handle, like Mom usually does right away. The moment the storm door creaked open, our two dogs jumped up and ran to the door, barking like mad. Our golden greyhound mix, Calvin, has a deep, scary bark, which contradicts his adorable appearance. Samson, our dumb, goofball son, who was incapable of hurting a fly but a big boy, jumps up on his hind legs and scrambles to find purchase on one of the small windows in a desperate attempt to see who's outside. Immediately, the storm door slams shut, 
and we heard heavy footsteps on the cement of our porch. Calvin started going nuts and jumped up on Kira's couch, standing on its back instead of the cushions to look out the window. Samson ran out of the room and went out the doggy door that leads to the back porch, which has a ramp going down into a fenced-off portion of our yard. I couldn't move. I'd never understood, really, what it meant when people described their limbs turning to lead until that very moment. It felt like I didn't have limbs, really. Like moving wasn't an option. If I moved, I might glimpse something or someone through the windows. The person could see me running around the house, freaking out, and decide to come after us after all. So I sat there, my mind steadily going blank as my heart sped up and limbs refused to move. In the game of fight, flight, or freeze, I'm the freezer. Kira, on the other hand, is a fighter. She spins around and looks out the window, but can't see anything because, besides the motion light on the porch, it's too dark. So, naturally, she gets up, grabs a stray dog toy, which just so happens to be a tug-of-war rope with a ball on one end, and opens the door. I tell her very calmly to shut the door and stay inside. She ignored me and stepped out onto the porch, she comes back inside after not seeing anything, but, to my utter disbelief, she disappears to the kitchen, comes back with a knife, and goes outside again. This time, she's gone for a handful of seconds before running back inside and slamming the door shut. Breathless, she tells me she went out a bit into the yard and saw the outline of a man by the run-down dog kennel we don't use anymore. When she saw him and froze, he moved. This time, she listened to me when I told her to lock the door. I managed to call mom despite my head being empty and my limbs being led, and she convinced me to get up, make sure all the doors are locked, including the basement, and making sure the dogs were inside. I ended up making Kira go into the fenced-up section to drag Samson back inside because I couldn't get my legs to move after thinking about doing it myself. Cowardly, I know. After Mom got home and looked around, finding nothing, we called the non-emergency number for the police, not wanting to bother them in case we were overreacting. Two cops came by and walked around our yard and, of course, found nothing. We got the sense they didn't believe us, but instead saw us as two overexcited girls with exaggerated imaginations. Still, they humored us and told us, after we told them about the park, that if we think someone might be following us, or if someone's acting a little too creepy, not to drive straight home and to check if anyone's following us. Then, they left. To this day, I'm pretty sure the only people who believe someone with malicious intent came to our home in hopes of finding two teenage girls as Kira and myself. Though, whether or not whoever it was, was the guy from the park. We're not sure, but it's too coincidental, isn't it? That the day we have multiple encounters with this guy who goes out of his way to get close to us and a car inch along behind us, we have an almost intruder encounter? Plus, there were too many details that didn't add up to us having overly excited imaginations.
We both saw headlights. The motion detector on the porch turned on. The storm door opened and stayed open until Samson jumped up to look out the door's window. It's a very noisy door and makes sounds when opening and closing. We heard footsteps. Kira saw someone, and the dogs didn't run up to the door like that and bark their heads off if no one was there. I don't know if whoever was at our house was the same guy that ran into us at the park. If it was, I don't know if the reason he cut in front of us as close as he did was to test how our dogs would react to him, and them not caring at all, or the first time, wagging their tails convinced him that they weren't a threat. I don't know if he was in the car that inched behind us and stopped when we stopped. I don't know what could have happened if Calvin didn't have a scary, manic bark or if Samson wasn't tall enough to look out the high windows on the door. I don't know much of anything. What I do know is this. If you're out and about, minding your own business, and a stranger is taking a lot of notice of you, following you, frequently running into you or whatever, trust your gut. Don't drive or walk straight home. Meander. Get to a public space or just take your time. Pay attention to your surroundings. You never know who is watching you. To the creepy guy in the park, the guy in the car, and whoever was trying to get into our house, I hope we never meet again. A quick backstory. I had a stalker for about four years. He was never aggressive or sent me proper threats, so, stubborn as I am, I did my best to ignore him and not give him the satisfaction of showing him any fear. To be honest, after a while, I also wasn't scared anymore since he almost never came close to me. I know being stalked can affect people severely, even in a case like mine, and that's totally valid but I guess I just got lucky and I was never really psychologically affected by it. His stalking behavior mostly just consisted of sending me letters and gifts, such as photos of my own apartment building from the outside, things he dug out of my trash can, and so on. I called the police many times, but they weren't able to, or really tried to be honest, catch or identify him. About three weeks ago, I discovered the German version of r slash IMA and thought that people might want to know about what it's like to have a stalker. Since I barely use any social media aside from Reddit and have no personally identifying information here, I didn't think he'd ever see it. One person even asked, does he know you're putting him on blast on Reddit? And I answered, maybe. Maybe it would make him angry. Maybe he'd be turned on. Don't know, don't care. Well, I know the real answer now. He did see it, and he did not like it. Like I said, he was never aggressive and never came close to me. The closest I know of is when he sent me a picture of myself unlocking my apartment door, taken from the corner of the steps above. Sorry if that makes no sense. I don't know how else to explain it. But I consider myself a pretty vigilant person, and I'm thinking that he might have hit a camera there instead of being there to take the photo himself. 
I think I would have noticed him if he did. I don't know how he got wind of the M.A., but he did. The next week was quiet. No letters, and I didn't see him anywhere. Then, he left me letters with printed out questions and my answers from the M.A. He also left me a long, hateful letter towards my boyfriend about an issue I had posted on the German version of AITA. His letters were never hateful like that before, though he never seemed happy with my boyfriend. He wrote about how I should share the spotlight with him since I got so much attention thanks to him. A few days later, I got a gift, but this time he didn't leave it in my mailbox or at my car like he usually did. No. This time, he left it inside the apartment building right in front of my door. I didn't take it inside my apartment, but opened it outside. It was a pretty big box, which was also unusual, and it was taped shut. As I am typing it out, I realized that wasn't a good idea at all, and it could have ended badly for me. But luckily, he didn't send me a bomb or anything. He did, however, send me several zip ties, a roll of tape, the kind you use to tape off walls when painting, nothing you could use to restrain someone, a TV remote with most buttons picked off, a pack of band-aids with a few used ones, not actually, just made to look that way according to the police, and a framed picture of me. I could tell the picture was taken a few days ago, and my boyfriend was next to me, but cut out of the photo. The frame was shattered and the package was full of glass shards, clearly more than just what could have fallen out of the frame, and they were also intentionally put inside the crumpled newspaper that was stuffed in there to keep it all in place. I called the police right away and gave it to them. They were more concerned this time. Finally, thank you, God and told me they'd send patrol cars more frequently. He didn't show up or leave me any letters or gifts for about another week and a half, but eight days ago, it started again. I found letters in my mailbox where he wrote about how he wasted his time on me, how I haven't been appreciating his effort, how he was wrong about me being special. Five days ago, I left my apartment in the morning and heard a crunch sound as I stepped on my doormat. He put broken glass under it in the night. I went off to work because I was in a hurry and was just going to make my boyfriend call the police, but then I found my car had also been vandalized. The sides were scratched. Lights smashed and the windshield had a phrase painted on it. It's time soon. Miss my last name. I went back inside and called the cops myself. They found the same phrase on a note under the doormat. This time they really, really, really took me seriously. Which might have been because I was just pissed at that point. Which I made very clear. If, for some reason, you're like me and just too stubborn to be afraid of a stalker like mine... Then all of this, the letters, gifts, photos, even the damn glass under my doormat, are just really annoying and inconvenient. But my car was useless to me now, 
and the threat scared even me. I did, however, have a dash cam in my car, and it caught everything. The police took the footage as evidence, even though the dash cam footage wasn't of high quality and I had given them photos of him that were just as good before, but they said it's not enough. And they told me they'll look into it further and promise to send more patrol cars again. Then it was quiet for two more days. Until two days ago. Someone rang the doorbell just after 4 a.m. My boyfriend and I got up, but we were both hesitant. But I saw blue lights outside, and just as I got up, I heard them shouting, This is the police. Please open the door. They told us they were called by one of our downstairs neighbors, who came home from his night shift about an hour earlier, and heard someone else enter the building after them, before the door fell shut. My neighbors know of my situation, and I've asked them to make sure they didn't let strangers into the building. This neighbor then went into his own apartment and looked through the peephole. We have motion-activated lights in the stairway, so he waited to see if they turned back on. Sure enough, they did. Then, he saw a middle-aged man walk upstairs. Above this neighbor are only me and my boyfriend, and a single mom with three kids, who probably won't be getting any visitors at 3 a.m. So, he called the police. They came and found my stalker one half floor above me on the stairs. He should have been able to see the cop cars since there's a little window up there and they had their lights on, but he either missed them or wanted to get caught. They found a pocket knife on him and he confessed to being my stalker right away. He's finally caught. They got him. It only took four years. A provocative Reddit post and one very vigilant and caring neighbor. But he's finally done. For now at least. He's facing several charges and I've collected every single piece of evidence over the past four years. I don't know what kind of outcome I can expect but for now I finally got some peace. To my stalker, I hope we never meet again. I think I have a stalker. Well, had one. I'm an Israeli high school student. I have long brown hair. I'm 179 centimeters tall and I weigh 68 kilograms. 5'11", 150 pounds for all you Americans out there. My encounter started on October of 2022 on a Jewish holiday called Yom Kippur. It translates to Day of Repentance. Basically, it's just a day when Jews go to the synagogue to repent for their sins, fast, and don't use any electricity. On Yom Kippur, teens usually go to the town square and just chill there, meet new people, and talk. So, being bored, I chose to go along with my peers in the hopes of meeting new people. Of these new people, I've met a girl. Let's call her Emma. I met Emma through mutual friends. She goes to another school in a different town and doesn't often stay in mine as her parents are divorced and her mom has custody of her in the other town while her dad lives in the same town as mine. 
The best description of her is 150 centimeters tall and 50 kilograms soaking wet, 4'11 and 110 pounds. With this kind of fusion between ginger and blonde hair, an inverted triangle face shape, and she has this distant, piercing look to her teal greenish eyes. We talked a bit. She was shy and socially awkward. I made up some bullshit excuse about my parents wanting me home, as it was getting late. Before I left, she asked for my Instagram. I'm fairly active on social media, mostly posting comedic stories, just low-effort jokes that people seem to like. I've noticed that she always views my stories first. Coincidence, maybe? But it seems to be seconds after I post them. I suspected maybe she had notifications on, but it was probably just my ego. She responded to a lot of them. She texted in a flirty kind of way with a lot of heart emojis and the such along with flirty, dirty sexts. I got a creepy vibe, but assumed she was joking. Around December was the first time she tried to meet up with me. She persuaded me, but I don't crack under peer pressure, so I kept with the bullshit excuses. Around mid-January, she started texting me on WhatsApp. I never gave her my number, but it was safe to assume one of our mutuals gave it to her. A bit creepy, but whatever. There were a few phone calls that I missed because I was busy. She kept proceeding with the inappropriate jokes and I started to ignore her more, usually responding with one-word answers to texts. She started to get pissy, but I hope that just shutting her out will be the best way to proceed, as she will eventually get the hint. In February, she crossed the line. A big line. Out of the blue, she just texted me the name of my street and a number. To try and throw her off my tail, I just responded with a question mark. She followed up by telling me, That's where you live. X, friend's name, told me you're afraid of me. That's not true, is it? Being freaked the f*** out, I just left her on red, hoping everything will go away. In the meanwhile, I tried to figure out how she got that address. Following some digging online, it was the address that showed after searching for my father's full name, a name that I never told her. She texted me again a few days later, asking me to let her come over. I told her to leave me alone. She tried to convince me to take her out on a date. I told her I'm gay. She called me every homophobic slur in the book, some of which I'd never heard, which was impressive. I told my friend about it, and he later sent me a screenshot of her private story, showing her crying and talking about how all men are evil and the such, asking if this was related to me. It probably was. The following morning, she sent me a voice message from a different account, telling me how much she was sorry and that she loves me. I told her again, I'm gay. You're nice and all, but I'm simply not interested. Silence. Have I reached peace at last? It's been a few days without hearing from her and all was good, and I quickly forgot of her existence. 
around a week after the whole incident happened. My mom was supposed to drive me to school, but when we got in the car, we noticed a tire was punctured. I had a bad feeling about it. In hindsight, I realized that my dog barked maniacally the night before, but I assumed it was just me being delusional and that those were just coincidences. For the following days, I had a sinking feeling that something was wrong. I felt as if I was watched when I was following routines such as going to the gym or walking the dog. I thought I saw her at the mall, but there are only two malls in my town, so it's not that unlikely. She didn't seem to notice me. It was early March at that point, my birthday. A day before my birthday, I got a flower bouquet delivered to me along with balloons and a note saying, I love you. No clue from who, but I didn't bother to ask the delivery guy, as I guessed those were just my friends f***ing with me. They knew I was on edge, but now I'm not sure that it was them. For my birthday, I decided to get drunk with my friends. I take antidepressants, so I often don't get shit-faced when I drink, only mildly drunk. The parents of my friend who lives 20 minutes away were on vacation, so he was the host. I posted some pics to my stories of us just messing around in his front yard. We made too much noise and the cops were called, so we had to cut it short. Walking back home, I felt paranoid. I get a bit worried when I drink, but I try to ignore the thoughts. There was a woman who kept a short distance behind me, but again I ignored my gut and assumed it was a coincidence. I stopped on my walk and went into some shrubbery because I just had to puke. I felt my hair being pulled into a ponytail. It was the lady. She held my hair for me. She told me to sit down and to wait a bit before I continued. I listened to her and sat down cross-legged with my face looking down. I had my face down out of shame, and because I was afraid I'll suddenly puke all over her if I raise my face. I caught a few glimpses and she seemed familiar. Her voice was soothing and oddly familiar. She was pretty touchy but didn't overthink it as I was a bit out of my senses. She was getting a bit too touchy-filly and started moving her hand towards my nether regions and I finally told her to stop. I looked her in the face and tried to make her stop when suddenly I figured out who she was. I assumed I probably knew her as a neighbor or a peer. It clicked. It was Emma. The eyes gave her away. I tried to get up, but I couldn't. I was too dizzy. She touched my shoulder and I slapped her hand away and told her to leave me alone. She put her hand under my chin and that was it. I don't remember why, but I reflexively punched her. It was just one punch with the weak power of a drunk man, but a punch is a punch. She backed off and I just apologized and stumbled away. I cried on the walk home. I'm a pacifist. I'm strictly anti-violence. I've never punched another person, and it's strictly against my morals to punch a woman. I still feel guilt about it. I got a message from an unknown number telling me I'm a dead man, but ever since then, nothing happened. 
I'm still paranoid, guilty, and disgusted by myself. It's nearly June, and I haven't heard from her since March, but I still can't let it go. So, to Emma, let's not meet again. And that, dear listeners, is the end of these true Let's Not Meet stories. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberlane is treating you kindly. If you're awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. Until next time, I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night.